Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, and a big signing this morning for the Indianapolis Colts, a position we obviously needed to fill since early January when Anthony Costanza retired. We added depth throughout free agency. We went into the draft with the possibility of drafting a franchise left tackle in the first or second rounds. Didn't happen. We now go into this post draft and Ballard also hinted at this before the draft and the pre-draft presser he said our work won't be done after the draft there's things that we're going to have to do to patch up different spots after the draft now at that time you don't know how your board's going to fall you don't know that quitty pay is going to fall to you in the first round you don't know that dio is going to fall to you in the second round and then you know you don't have a third round pick and the chances are by the fourth round you're not going to see a tackle that you're absolutely in love with to plug and play in the first week of September. And we did address the depth in free agency with signings like Davenport and Sam Tevy. So the Colts signed Eric Fisher to a one-year $9.4 million contract. So that's a lot of money because we all know that the elephant in the room is the Achilles injury. That's a lot of money to give a guy on a one-year deal if you don't expect him to be ready early in the season. I'm not saying week one. I'm not saying by training camp or the preseason, but you expect this guy to play a bulk of the season with that $9.4 million in 2021. You're not going to give a guy all that money if you don't expect him to be ready until November or December. So they expect him to be ready, in my opinion, relatively early in the season. They went through the medicals and they brought him in as we reported on Thursday. So they brought him in Thursday. They evaluated him, the physical all that with the rehab to see how he's progressing. And they obviously felt comfortable enough to give him this contract, to give him almost $10 million to come in despite the torn Achilles. So we all know that's the elephant in the room. In a perfect world, he's 100% healthy. But in a perfect world, if he does not tear his Achilles in January in the AFC Championship game against Buffalo, he's either going to go back to the Chiefs or he's going to be signed for a lot of money early in free agency in March. So you're not going to have an opportunity to say, okay, let's go into the draft. Let's see what happens in the first round, in the second round. And then post-draft, we'll have a plan B of signing Eric Fisher. And Ballard and Fisher go way back to 2013. So they have a history together. When Chris Ballard was the director of player personnel in Kansas City, Eric Fisher was the first overall pick for the Chiefs in 2013. So they go way back to Ballard being a part of that scouting evaluation process when Fisher was coming out of Central Michigan in 2013 when he was a part of that John Dorsey front office in Kansas City. So Ballard has a history with him. He's obviously a super productive tackle, durable before this injury of the torn Achilles, which sucks that happened to him in the AFC Championship game, but he's made over 100 career starts, a two-time Pro Bowler, including last season. In 2020, he was a Pro Bowler. 2018, he was a Pro Bowler. Obviously, a huge part of Kansas City's success offensively because he goes down in that AFC Championship game what happened in the Super Bowl. It was a much different looking Kansas City Chiefs offense. Patrick Mahomes is still great. Tyreek Hill is still great. Travis Kelsey is still great. But when they don't have time to create separation and you have Patrick Mahomes running around like a madman in the backfield trying to make things happen, making spectacular throws off his back foot, the offense was all out of whack because they didn't have their tackles. And we've seen bad offensive line play in Indianapolis, and we've seen great offensive line play in Indianapolis. If Eric Fisher could be healthy, and you get him at 100%, you could be looking at an upgrade from Anthony Costanzo. Now you plug him in at 30 years of age next to Quinn Nelson, who's next to Ryan Kelly, who's next to Mark Lewinsky, who's next to Braden Smith. You have a 
dominant, fierce offensive line heading into 2021. And of course, the Achilles, we can't expect him. Like right now, I don't expect him on the field the first week of September. Depending on who you ask, you will get different answers. You will get, he'll be ready in August. You'll get, we won't see him until October. And you'll get everywhere in between. So, the jury's still out, of course. We don't know. The timetable right now is to be determined. But when he's ready, we have a legitimate Pro Bowl caliber left tackle ready to play next to Quentin Nelson, who's playing next to Ryan Kelly. And then, of course, we have Braden Smith on the other side of that line. So that's a really solid line. No disrespect to Mark Lewinsky. We addressed the depth this offseason, and I think this was Ballard's plan all along. You know you have a guy in Eric Fisher. You have the history with him. You know how productive he is when he's healthy. But he's not going to sign as a backup. He's not going to sign in Indianapolis, despite the injury, until he knows when he's healthy, he will be the starter. That job is his. So what does Ballard do? He goes out and he addresses the depth. And we talked about this in the draft coverage. Why didn't the Colts go tackle in the middle rounds? Because they viewed those tackles as depth tackles. They viewed them as backup tackles. And you look at a guy like Sam Tevy, who has a lot of starting experience. He started 43 games over the last three years in San Diego and Los Angeles with the Chargers. You look at Davenport, another depth piece. Those guys, of course they're not upgrades over Anthony Costanzo, but for their roles as backups, they are upgrades over Chaz Green and LaRaven Clark. So Ballard made that room better as far as the two, three, four. So you have Will Holden, you have Sam Tevy, you have Davenport, you have guys who are better than what we had this time last year going into the season. Because even with Anthony Costanzo, we were concerned about the tackle position because we were concerned about the backups. We were concerned about the depth. Sam Tevy's not a great starter. But a bad starter, most of the time, is a quality backup. Great example, Jacoby Brissett. Not a great starter. Bad starter. Back end of the league starter, somewhere from 26 to 32, from 32 to 34, 35, if you were to rank every quarterback in the National Football League when he was starting for the Colts. That's not good. You don't want a bottom of the barrel 26 to 33, 34, 35 quarterback as your starting quarterback. But that's a pretty damn good backup. You don't see many teams with a top five quarterback starting and then a top 15 quarterback as the backup. It never happens. If you have two quarterbacks like that, usually, like they say, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. So to have a backup quarterback who could come in and win you a game, win you a couple games, like we saw with Jacoby, to start the season, he started 5-2. and two. If Andrew Luck were to come back week 7 or week 8, well, we would have been on our way. But unfortunately, Luck retired. We had to deal with what we had to deal with in 2019. Then we go out last year, we make the move for Rivers. Then this year, the move for Carson Wentz. But... You don't have to be a great quarterback to be a good backup. You don't have to be a great starting tackle. You don't have to be a pro bowler to be a good backup. It's hard to find starting tackles. So if it's hard to find starting tackles, then common sense will tell you it's also hard to find quality depth backups. So what did Ballard do? He addressed the depth. We went into the draft with the possibility, because you're not guaranteeing Sam Tevy the starting job, you're going in with the possibility of, okay, Quiddy Pay's gone at 21. It's a deep tackle draft. We're going to trade back to 28, and we're going to draft our franchise left tackle, who's going to start for the next 10 years in Indianapolis. Then in the second round, if Dio doesn't fall to you, they could very possibly go tackle there in the second round. We don't pick again until 127 in the fourth round. By that point, 
Ballard most likely is going to view every tackle on the board like a Sam Tevy or like a Davenport or like a Holden. So you might as well hold off. You have your tackle depth. You've already addressed that. So let's go address the tight end depth in the fourth round. Let's go address the safety depth. And that's what he did because those spots still needed depth. He still needed competition for those backup roles in Indianapolis. So that's exactly what Ballard did because he didn't really address completely the safety depth. You could always add more receivers to this receiver room to let them battle it out, which he did both in the seventh round and he did again with some pretty good undrafted free agents who will come in and they will battle for a spot in Indianapolis. So Ballard did that later in the draft. There was no need to do that at tackle unless you were going to get a franchise left tackle, which was most likely only going to happen in the first or second rounds of the draft. He goes back-to-back pass rushers, which was a huge need. And he also didn't see pass rushers of that caliber that could come in and start for one year and hold us to next year available on the market right now, post-draft. But at the tackle spot, he saw that in Eric Fisher. So I think going into the draft, Fisher was an option all along. That was plan B. If you can't draft a tackle, the next plan is post-draft, as Ballard alluded to in his pre-draft presser, you have a guy like that in Eric Fisher, who he has the history with, is extremely talented, made the Pro Bowl last season, and unfortunately tore his Achilles, which Ballard isn't super afraid of, as we've seen drafting Dio in the second round, re-signing Marlon Mack on a one-year deal, and now signing Eric Fisher to a one-year $9.4 million contract. So Ballard has faith in these guys. Last year, he took a shot in the third round with Julian Blackman coming off the torn ACL. He was great last year. Came in in October, played like a defensive rookie of the year candidate. If it's not for Chase Young, he definitely would have gotten more publicity there as far as defensive rookie of the years go. But when you have a guy like Chase Young who pretty much just destroyed the league, there was really no conversation about who deserved it because it was hands down Young last season. But Blackman came in, tore an ACL in college, and he tore it late. Just like we have right now with Fisher. He tore it late. He tore it in January. We saw the same thing, I think, in the Big Ten Championship is when Julian Blackman tore his ACL. He was ready to go in October, and he played at an extremely high level for the Colts as a rookie. So Ballard's not afraid of these torn ligaments. He will take a shot on a guy with a torn ligament, and they went over the medicals. That was on Thursday. They signed him today. I would assume we see Charles Leno Jr. signed at some point today, tomorrow, this week. Because now that ball's rolling. But all Charles Leno did for me was add another option. If Fisher was the plan all along, but you never evaluated him medically, you never checked on the rehab, you never brought him into your trainers and your doctors to see where he was at in his rehabilitation process, you're still kind of taking a shot at the dartboard. With Charles Leno becoming available, well, that gives you another option now. So if Fisher comes in, bombs the medical, this guy doesn't look like he's going to be ready until December or January, or it's going to be a 12-month recovery till the end of January at the AFC Championship, and you're not going to see this guy in the field again until 2022, well, now you have another option because you kind of went into the draft with, if we don't draft the tackle, all our eggs are going to be in the Eric Fisher basket. Charles Leno Jr. gets released by Chicago. Now we have multiple options. We have multiple Pro Bowl caliber guys who have played at the Pro Bowl level before in the National Football League within the last three seasons available. Guys that we're comfortable with bringing in 
in starting for us in 2021. And this is Ballard and everything Ballard believes in terms of reaching. We're not going to reach. We're not going to just take a tackle in the fourth round to take a tackle in the fourth round and start him. Just like everybody wanted to take a quarterback last year in the first round, trade up for Jordan Love. We think Ballard liked Jordan Love, and me and Jason didn't have any source on this because this was before we even made our connections. So the word was, and this wasn't us hearing from anybody, this was just the word around Indianapolis. People were saying, guys at the Indy Star were saying that Ballard was linked to Jordan Love. The Colts liked the Love last year. Ballard could have traded up. He didn't. He didn't move up to get Jordan Love. The Packers did. There were rumors that the Packers heard the Colts were going to move up, so they moved up to get him. But since we've heard that the Colts didn't have any interest in Jordan Love. But everybody wanted Ballard to reach. Go get the guy. Just go get him. Go get Jalen Hurts. Just go get the next quarterback available this offseason. Let's stay at 21. Let's trade up. Let's get Mac Jones. Let's reach for a quarterback that maybe Ballard isn't in love with. And that's not how Ballard rolls. Ballard's not going to just reach for a quarterback to reach for a quarterback. Same thing with left tackle. He's not just going to grab the first tackle available in the second round because they're a tackle and it's a need. He's not going to do that. But he's also not going to not have a plan. Ballard's always going to have a plan. And the plan was Eric Fisher. I believe that was the plan pre-draft. And now we've seen that plan executed post-draft. And why didn't we take a tackle? Luke, why didn't we take a tackle in the fifth round? Why didn't we take a tackle in the sixth round? Well, because we had other positions that we needed to address the depth at. And because we weren't going to get a starter to start at left tackle in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, well, we're going to address the depth. Why didn't we address the tackle depth in the draft? Well, because we did that in free agency. When we hated on, as a fan base, when we hated on the Davenport signing, or when we hated on the Sam Tevy signing, we didn't like those signings because at that time, those guys, Sam Tevy was number one on the depth chart. And he's not the ideal starter in Indianapolis. Can he start for us weeks one, two, three, four? Sure, until Fisher gets back maybe, let's say, the first week of October. And that's what quality depth is all about. Having a guy that could come in, having a guy that could start for you when your starter goes down. Just the way we're looking at it right now, our starter is going to start the season down, and then he's going to be healthy. A lot of other guys are going to start the season healthy and get hurt at some point during the season. Again, I'll go back to my Jacoby Brissett analogy. Not a great starter. You don't want him to be your starting quarterback for a full 17-game season. But if you need him to start for a game or two, he could get the job done. I go back to 2019, right? Andrew Luck retires. Let's say Andrew Luck doesn't retire. Jacoby's your backup quarterback. Jacoby made 15 of 16 starts. He got hurt during the Pittsburgh game, and then he missed the Dolphins game. If Luck's your full starter that season, and Luck is the one that gets hurt against Pittsburgh and Jacoby comes in, and Luck's the one that misses the Miami game and Jacoby plays, there's a very good chance that Jacoby's going to go 1-1, one one, maybe even 2-0 and in those two games. And that's a great backup. A guy who could come in and a guy who could hold serve for a week two weeks, a month max. You don't want him to be the guy. You don't want him to carry you into the playoffs. You don't want him to start big games. But if you need him to start in a pinch, if you need him to start for a week, he could do that. We've had backup quarterbacks in the past that couldn't do that. Curtis Painter couldn't do that. You play the worst team in the league, he plugs in for Peyton Manning, he's not going to win you that game. 
Scott Tolzien, he's not going to win you that game. Brian Hoyer, he's not going to win you that game. Jacoby Brissett, he'll give you a fighting chance. He'll give you a chance where everybody else does their job, we could win the game. He's not going to throw for 400 yards, but he'll do enough where if the running game is clicking, if the defense plays well, if Reich dials up all the right plays, and you make all your kicks and you're good on special teams, and that's why we had a lot of problems with Venetary and other things. Because with Jacoby, the margin for error was smaller. But you could still win with that small margin of error. It's going to be the same thing. If Sam Tevy's your starting tackle for the first three weeks of the season, you're going to have to help him out. You're going to have to roll out Carson Wentz. You're going to have to chip with a running back. You're going to have to have Quinn Nelson help out in pass pro and just different things of that nature. But he could get the job done. Unlike a guy like Chaz Green, who was an awful backup. For that one week, he's going to be killed. He's going to get burned. He's going to give up three or four sacks. You can't have that. You can't have Chaz Green. You can't have LaRaven Clark. You need quality depth. Sam Tevy has made 43 starts over the last three seasons. He wasn't great in those 43 starts, but he was a starting tackle in the National Football League. He provides depth and he provides starting experience as a backup tackle. You plug him into Quentin Nelson, he'll automatically be better than he was when he was with the Chargers because he didn't play next to anything close to a Quentin Nelson caliber guard with the Chargers because I don't believe a Quentin Nelson caliber guard exists in the National Football League. So, we're going into the season. We addressed the three biggest spots. Three biggest spots. Rivers retires. We need a quarterback. Trade for Carson Wentz. Are there question marks? For sure. Is Wentz talented? For sure. Was Wentz good with Frank Reich? There's absolutely no denying that. He was an MVP candidate in 2017. Anthony Costanzo retires. We need a starting left tackle. We have terrible tackle depth with Clark and Green. We address the depth in free agency. We go into the draft. We don't draft a tackle. We now sign Eric Fisher, who, when healthy, is just as good, if not better, than Anthony Costanzo. Now, I believe Costanzo got snubbed of multiple Pro Bowls, so I'm not just doing the Pro Bowl comparison thing. In my opinion, Anthony Costanzo should have been a two, three, four-time Pro Bowler in Indianapolis. Since 2018, he basically played at an all-pro level or a Pro Bowl level every season, 18, 19, 20. He was that good the last three years. But we've also seen how good... Fisher is when he's healthy the last three years. 18 and 20, he made the Pro Bowl. He was a huge part of the Kansas City Chiefs' offensive success. Their offense looked abysmal in the Super Bowl. They were missing both starting tackles in the Super Bowl. So I'm a big fan of the signing. This is the guy I wanted before Charles Leno was released. And then even after he was released, I felt like if the medical checks out, for Fisher, that's the player I rather have. If you take away the Achilles injury, that's the player I rather have. But the Achilles injury was for sure a factor. And as a podcast host, I don't know what the medicals look like. I can't evaluate these guys. And even if I did evaluate them, I'm not a doctor. I wouldn't be able to say, oh, okay, I think this guy's going to be ready in September. Like, I just wouldn't know. But if you trust the doctors and you trust Ballard and you trust, you know, their communication and figuring that the Colts dotted every I and crossed every T and went the full length on this rehab evaluation, you got to believe he's going to be ready early in the season, especially when you look at the money, $9.4 million. You're not paying $9.4 million for a guy who you don't expect to see until Thanksgiving or December. So I expect him to be on the field within the first five weeks, 
Just a prediction, just my opinion, just a guess. I don't really know. It's a guesstimate based on the money, based on the fact that they are going with him over a player like Charles Leno, who I also think would have made a lot of sense. And Charles Leno Jr. had a ton of connections to Strasser, our offensive line coach, and other connections in Indianapolis. So that would have made a lot of sense there as well. And the Colts were interested in Leno. So I'm happy. We got our tackle, quarterback, Carson Wentz, tackle, Sam Tevy, and then what was the other need, the other glaring weakness on this team was the defensive end spots, the pass rusher, the edge spots. We needed pass rushers. We saw Justin Houston the last two years. He was really he was great for the Colts in 2019, and I'm still happy with that signing. 2020, he was good. Early on, he had that great game against Houston, that three-sack game. As the season went on, the final five weeks, he got slower. I thought he lost a step, wasn't good against the run, so you let him walk. He's still a free agent at the moment. We wanted Autry back, not able to get him back. He goes on, he moves on, he signs with the Tennessee Titans. And then we go into the draft. You know, we do make a couple of minor signings. We bring back Alquidi Muhammad. You still have Ben Banigou. You still have Komoko Ture. We go into the draft. We absolutely nail the first round pick, Quiddy Pay, out of the park. Dio out of the park in the second round when he comes back from his Achilles injury, as the Colts have all these Achilles injuries now. We have guys coming back off these you know rehab processes mac fisher dio but you nail that out of the park the first two picks a plus type picks for the colts so you get your pass rushers so you got those three spots those three biggest needs and you bring a lot of guys back at the other position so i'm very happy with chris ballard you know he has a plan you just need to see it play out you need to see him execute that plan. If it's not plan A, it's going to be plan B. If it's not plan B, it's going to be plan C. He's got the binder. He follows the binder. He listens to the binder. And the binder this time said, you don't reach in the fourth round for a tackle. You follow the boards in the first and second round. You follow the board in the fourth round. You don't reach for a tackle. You address depth at other spots where we need depth. You already nailed down the tackle depth. And we have a guy in Eric Fisher who we could sign post-draft if we need a starting left tackle. Boom. Chris Ballard follows the plan to a T. Was it plan A? We don't know. Was it plan B? We don't know. Was it plan C? We don't know. But that was the plan that he eventually went on to execute, and I think it's going to work out really well for the Colts. If Fisher's healthy and being a tackle, you don't need to be able to cut the way you do at other positions. Like We saw the Achilles pretty much end Kobe Bryant's career but as a basketball player, you're jumping, you're running, you're cutting, you're doing all these different things. Malik Hooker, I think he's going to struggle coming back from the Achilles as he did with the ACL because you need to cut and you need to be able to anticipate and jump balls and be a ball hawk. Marlon Mack, I think it's going to be tough for him to come back from this Achilles injury. I think a tackle is going to have an easier time adjusting post-Achilles injury to returning to the National Football League. We will be back, guys, with our draft grade. And I'm already bumping mine up half a letter grade just by making this Eric Fisher signing because this justifies not drafting a tackle, right? So that plays into the draft grade, in my opinion, because the only reason it wasn't going to be as high as it could have been was because we didn't get a tackle. Now we got our tackle, so I'm pumped up about that. I'll be back with Jason tomorrow to do the draft grade. We had to get this up. Eric Fisher, big signing for the Colts. Arguably the biggest free agent signing the Colts have made this offseason, right? Because Carson Wentz was a trade. This is a signing. I would go as far as saying this was the biggest free agent signing the Colts have made 
this offseason. A lot of the other spots were just kind of depth spots or bringing guys back. You brought T.Y. back. You brought Xavier Rhodes back. If you want to count those as free agent signings, in-house they were. But as far as external free agents, biggest free agent signing the Colts have made this offseason. Eric Fisher, tackle, 30 years old, one year, $9.5 million from the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's a two-time Pro Bowler. And now... He's an Indianapolis Colt replacing Anthony Costanzo, who held down the ship for 10 seasons at left tackle for the Indianapolis Colts. We welcome Eric Fisher to Indianapolis. Connection there with Chris Ballard. Ballard, the director of player personnel in 2013 for the Kansas City Chiefs. Eric Fisher, the first overall pick in the 2013 draft by the Chiefs. We'll be back tomorrow, Jason and myself, here on the podcast to go over our draft grades. I am your host, Luke Diamond, and this is the For the Culture Podcast.